Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Rays announced to the world that they wanted a left-handed bat and that they were willing to spend money. And money they did spend, some $40 million dollars. But they didn't get a hitter, they got a pitcher. And not just any pitcher, they got Zach Eflin, a guy with a 36-45 and 45 record and a 4-4-9 ERA. What did they see in Eflin to make him the highest paid Ray in the history of the franchise? We're going to talk to Mark Topkin about that in the Hot Stove League on this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. In just a moment. But first, folks, I wanted to remind you of a way to save money on your electric bill. And they're going up and up. It's called May Electric Solar. That's right. They're a family-owned and operated business. They've been doing this, installing solar electric systems for 12 years. Now, there's a lot of these fly-by-night companies. But May Electric Solar is committed to you for the long term. Here's what makes them different. They guarantee their workmanship with a 30-year labor and services warranty. Something goes wrong. The next three decades, they're out there fixing it, no cost to you. Plus, with every installation, you get $750 worth of surge protection for all your appliances. That is the main difference. If you visit the Hutchins showroom, May Electric displays all their products. They conduct on-site testing. You can see what they'll install. Plus, they don't use subcontractors, so you know exactly who is doing the job up there on the roof. It's Billy Mays, guys. That's important. Start saving today. Call the solar energy experts at May Electric Solar at 727 819 2862. You can schedule a free estimate, lower your electric bill all year long, preserve the quality of your life and that of your appliances. May Electric Solar at 727-819-2862. All right, it's time to talk to Mark Topkin, the Rays beat writer for the Tampa Bay Times. Mark, this is uh, sort of the hot stove league time of year, I guess, in Major League Baseball and the Rays. They have had a signing. In fact, he was introduced, I guess, just yesterday. Zach Eflin from the Phillies is the newest Tampa Bay Rays. And I guess the only question for the Rays he might have had is, what took you so long? Yeah, it was funny. It was a fun story to hear uh, at the press conference on Tuesday, Rick, is that uh, this wasn't, no one no one would have known this. It's like anyone missed the story. But uh, he grew up a Rays fan, which obviously he wouldn't have known. He grew up uh, in Oviedo, which is a little bit northeast of Orlando, and said him and some buddies, and I assume someone's mom or dad got stuck with this, but six or eight or ten of them would come over on weekends and watch games, so he was a Rays fan growing up. And then uh, coming out of high school, you know, they bring guys in, you know, for pre-draft workouts, guys they're interested in, and said he had a really good workout, a good talk, and he was kind of under the impression that if he was available, they were going to take him with their first-round pick. It's 2012 draft. They had the 25th pick. He was available. He said he was getting all excited. They took someone else, and he, he used the word brokenhearted a little bit. So he, he thought he was crushed, and this was 2012. By the way, they took Richie Schaefer. They should have taken Zach Elfin. A <laughs> yeah. Better, right. Much better pick. But uh, waited all these years. You know, he got taken by the Padres. He got traded uh, to the Dodgers, and then is kind of a package deal the next day, traded to the Phillies, all as a Class A player. So all he's really known in the big leagues is the Phillies, but obviously plenty familiar with the area, trains in Clearwater every spring, and, you know, Heard today also the Rays tried to trade for him a couple times and, and never quite were able to make it happen. So it sounds like one of those stories that, you know, it, it maybe a little bit of it is uh, 
amped up here, but it's kind of a neat little story in that he wanted to be a Ray, they wanted to have him, and here we are in twenty going into the 2023 season, $40 million later, which was a little bit more than the signing bonus would have been back in 2012. Uh, he is indeed a Ray, and uh, the biggest contract they've ever given a free agent player, and, and this is heading into their 26th season. Rick, you and I were probably a few pounds lighter and had a little more hair uh, in 1997 going into the 98 season when they signed, remember, Wilson Alvarez, that was the biggest contract mm-hmm. still, $35 million over five years, still the biggest total dollar contract for a free agent until this one. Uh, if I recall, uh, and it was so long ago that Wilson Alvarez threw the first pitch for the Tampa Bay Rays, if I'm not mistaken. He did. He threw the first pitch, but he didn't make it through the five years to throw the last pitch. He got let go <laughs> That's after right. like three and a half years. It turned out to be a bit of a bad deal there. Yeah, it was. Well, here's the thing that, and and listen, I I, I will uh, raise my hand and say that I was not that familiar with Zach uh, Eflin or or his career. Um, but you mentioned it's the largest contract that they've ever had as a free agent, and you know, just from a number standpoint. And I know wins and losses don't necessarily tell the story about starting pitchers, but thirty six and forty five, a four four nine ERA. On the surface, you wouldn't think that this would be the guy, right, that they would spend the most money on in the franchise history. So what do they see in him? What, what is it that attracted them that, uh, that they wanted to sign him? Yeah, it's a good question and a very fair question. I think a lot of people are asking, and just to add another layer to it, which, which may be stealing where you're going to go next, but that they did this at a time when they publicly came out and said, going into this offseason, they need to improve their offense. They need to find some right. hitters or at least a veteran hitter, that it's rare for the Rays to even acknowledge what they're looking for. They came out and said it, then they went and did something else. It might be the most Rays move ever, right? Actually admit what you're looking for, and then still go do something else. But, look, they see a guy, he's the youngest free agent pitcher on the market. He's 28, he'll turn 29, uh, right? I think right in the start of the season or so. Uh, he's a guy that the, and not, I don't even want to say like totally the under the hood numbers, because I, I don't, I'm not a, Big. I don't go deep in a lot of the analytics. I, I'm probably sacrilegious to some of my colleagues, but you know, I'm not. I'm not saying I'm wins an ERA guy only, but I, I don't go past like the second level of, of the analytics. But there's a couple that you could look at. Expected ERA, which kind of calculates what his ERA would be if plays are just made, like not anticipating right. great plays or horrible plays or balls dropping in, just you know, based on what he throws. And then there's another stat called FIP, fielding independent pitching, which takes the outcome out of it, just on the you know, you, you, where he throws the pitches, how he throws them, what they're called, and it calculates that stuff out. And, and the thing is, they're both pretty consistent. His ERA is a half run to even a little bit more lower in both of those over the last couple of years, which makes you think that you know he's a 4.5 ERA guy or a 4.3 ERA guy. Take a half run off that, you're talking about a 3.7 ERA guy, and, and factor in that Citizens Bank Park in Philadelphia, where he played half his games, as well as a couple other National League parks, are pretty cozy, are very hitter-friendly. And the Phillies are pretty much the worst defensive team in baseball. So you've got a couple reasons to think, if you want to look at it from the race perspective. His stats are better than what his results have been. He's going to play in front of a better defense. He's going to play half his games, at least, in a more hitter, a more pitcher-friendly ballpark. He's young. He's figuring it out. He's got an interesting uh, repertoire. He's got a six-pitch repertoire. I talked to uh, Ruben Amaro last week, who was the GM of the Phillies when they got him. He's actually now a TV broadcaster for them. But he's known Zach Eflin since you know he came to the Phillies as a, a Class A player, and he's the guy who went out to get him. And he said it took a couple years. They went through 
they went through five pitching coaches in five years. And there were a couple in there that had some different ideas, and, and Ruben was pretty frank. And he, you know, he said it messed him up. It wasn't they weren't emphasizing his strength. His strength is a sinker and a curveball combo, which is an interesting combo. A lot of times it's sinker slider, but those are kind of similar pitches. A sinker curveball combo is pretty good. He's got some other pitches, pretty much everything else you could throw. And then you add in what Kyle Snyder can do. And we used the word tweak a lot uh, at the press conference on Tuesday. Zach said, tinker. I'm looking forward to a little tinker here, a little tinker there from Kyle Snyder. I think it's going to be great for my career. So he's open to that. But he's a guy that kind of feels like, you know, he's figured it out. And now he's ready to take it to another team, to another opportunity. He raved about the number of pitchers who've come through here and come out better, kind of like a car wash. They come in, and they come out they're ready for the showroom. And uh, he talked to a bunch of guys. You know, He hits the former Phillies that played here way back in the day, in, in a way, Matt Moore and Hellickson. He talked to Charlie Morton. Uh, he's well aware, as I said, of Kyle Snyder. So it, it was really an interesting fit. I, I still, though, I will tell you this, and you're right. I, I, if you had called me two weeks ago, because he signed on December 1st, if you'd called me that night and we were doing this show, and you would have said, hey, I just ran into Stu Sternberg. We were hanging out. He told me they're about to sign a guy for $40 bucks for three years. And he told you who it was, but I had a guess. Rick, we might have talked for a long time. I'm not sure <laughs> I would have got through 100 names. I might not have gotten Zach Eflin. I, really, and I'm not, yeah. I, don't, I don't think I'm that horrible at my job, but I don't think I would have pinned him as a guy, given they're looking for hitters, given they seem to have starting pitching, given he's not a great looking you know when you look at his stats it doesn't jump out at you but this is a true example of the Rays thinking they've found a guy here and putting up a pretty good amount of money to to prove or find out if they're right and I I don't know who said it you probably wrote it uh but I think there was somebody in baseball um that that said you know like a lot of deals the Rays make um Maybe everybody should take a look at this a little closer because the Rays, they rarely miss when they, when they invest like this. Right. And that's part of this is, you know, and, I, and I've you know, read through as many of the comments on Twitter and, and other social media and emails as I could of people ripping the Rays. Why would they do this when they need a hitter? But, you know, turn it around. And Neander, Eric Neander, the team uh, baseball operations president, said this at the press conference. He said, you know, the fact that we would do this, even after saying we're looking for hitting – should reinforce how much we think this is the right move. So they are they are in this. They are in this deep. They came up with their offer too. I don't didn't get exact numbers, but they were somewhere in the mid 30s. Uh, and Boston made an offer at 40 million, and it was kind of like you know what do you what are you guys going to do? This is you know he's wow. he's got this offer for 40 million. He's willing to take it. And they came up. I don't know if it was three million or five million where they were, but somewhere in that mid 30 range. They came up to match it. They didn't want to let this guy get away over a couple million dollars after, you know, they put a full court press on him. They were uh, calling him right from the start of free agency, call his agent Tom O'Connell, local Tampa guy here, does a great job. This is actually his biggest deal, too, so it's kind of a cool story for Tom as well. But uh, they called Tom right away and said, hey, we're interested in Zach. He's our number one guy. We want to talk to him. We want to meet with him. But, you know, we don't want to, like, pressure you guys. You know, just we want to do this right. And ended up. Uh, picture this. I, don't, I wish I found out who was driving, but uh, Neander, Bendix, Cash, uh, Kevin Eibach from the front office, Kyle Snyder, hope he didn't get the back seat with those long legs, and Joe Benji, athletic trainer, all drove over to Oviedo a couple days before Thanksgiving. The only restaurant in town, I guess, that was open that could handle a catering order was Outback, so they stopped at Outback, picked up a whole bunch of food, and went over to the Eflin's house and sat there for about three hours talking to 
Zach and his wife and just kind of a, a get-to-know-you session, and that kind of cemented it, it sounds like, for both sides. Love Outback, the Bloomin' Onion. I mean, that, that'll that lock up any deal, right? I mean, I that's, think so, that's right? What... I mean, you get a lot of yeses with a good Bloomin' Onion, right? <laughs> <laughs> no question, man. Love it. Love Outback. Um, well, here's here's the next question I have about this, and it's it, something I'm sure that's probably not that complex. It'll work itself out. Good problem to have. Where does he fit in the rotation? I mean, you have Shane McClanahan, uh, Tyler Glass now, hopefully fully healthy now. He pitched last year. Pitched pretty well when we did see him. You still have uh, Drew Rasmussen. You still have Jeffrey Springs. So, I mean, look, it, it looks like they're fairly loaded uh, in the starting rotation at this point. Yeah, I, I think that's. I think that's true. I think that's what they're talking about. That's what they're hoping. I, I think they like that idea. And you know, I'll be the kind of the negative Nelly here for a second and say, however, Tyler Glass now is going to have an innings limit. And as good as he looked, you know, those three starts when he came back last year, there's usually some bumps and, and, you know, issues for a guy coming off Tommy John. Not big issues, but, you know, they're going to have to watch him a little bit. He's not going to go through 200 innings. So he's going to have to skip some starts. He's going to get pulled early sometimes. Yeah. Uh, Shane McClanahan, you know, no one still knows exactly what happened in the second half. Everybody insists, he insists, the coaching staff, medical staff, everybody says he wasn't hurt. But something True. changed in the second half, and, and he never really, I mean, I don't know, did he have an A game? I guess maybe that playoff game, he was really sharp. But I, are you 100% sure he's going to be the Shane McClanahan from the first half last year? I, I don't think so. You know, and Springs and Rasmussen, both guys that were extended further than they ever had been before as far as pitching in the big leagues. Springs transitioning from reliever to starter. Rasmussen staying healthy for the full year and staying in the big leagues the whole year. So, there, there's some degree, I'm not saying a lot, but there's some degree of question about all four of those. And and then just another thought, too, here, and just kind of popped into my head during our pre-production meeting is, you know, the price of starting pitching is pretty crazy right now. I mean, not only here we are talking about Zach Eflin getting $40 million, There's some guys that are signing right now. Ross Stripling signed today for $25 million for two years, 12 and a half a year. Sean Manea got that same deal yesterday. I mean, there's some guys signing for that kind of money that again, in a norm, in a previous market, you wouldn't have thought it'd be worth that. So, does that prompt a team to maybe get crazy and, and make a run at Erasmuson or Springs? I mean, I don't think the Rays in any way are looking to trade one of them. I don't think Glassnow or McClanahan are going anywhere. But you know, if somebody came hard with a great offer for Erasmuson or Springs, I don't know if they're maybe a little more tempted to listen. Having Eflin, but the way they talked about it at the press conference, they made it very clear. They feel like they have got a one through five. That has five guys who could be, you know, and you can mix them up and throw them out in any order. I, I don't agree. I think you're going to have anyone. You're going to put Glassdale McClanahan one, two in some order. But they feel pretty good about the five they have. And uh, Eric Nanner uses this line a lot, and he said it again at the press conference. But he said, you know, we, we talk about offense. We admit we need offense. we got to score more runs. However, ultimately, the goal is to win by one. And if you have better run prevention it's easier to win by one than it is if you have worse run prevention so if you can't make your run production better make your run prevention better you still get to the final goal which is winning the game by one that's absolutely true Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Uh, before we get to uh, what they might do, still uh, left before and a long way to go, obviously, before spring training. But 
a couple of Rays are leaving free agency. One guy who is the face of this franchise for many, many years, Kevin Kiermaier, joining the Blue Jays. You talked to Kevin, uh, AL East team. He's going to see the Rays a bunch of times. Uh, how, how do you think that will go? What will be his role there, do you think? The pretty face of the franchise. Go ahead and say it. Yeah. Right. yeah. Um, look, Kevin Kiermaier is, it will go down as one of the great Rays of all time. I mean, I know some people... Uh, criticize him for getting hurt too much, uh, for not doing much offensively. But you, you take a 30th round pick and you go out and win three gold gloves and you play every day in the big leagues for, you know, eight years, nine years. He was up for obviously part of another year to make it 10 total. You did pretty good for yourself and make $50 million along the way, oh, by the way. So Kevin Kiermaier will go down as one of the great Rays. And uh, look, he's going to go for the Blue Jays, and that's in a way, a great fit for him. The only thing I don't like about the fit is it's on turf still. And he was mm. pretty clear thinking he was going to get off turf when he left the Rays, thinking that may have contributed to some of his uh, health issues over the years. But you talk about a team that is loaded offensively, which the Blue Jays are, can carry, yeah. you know, quote-unquote carry a guy who's not as good of an offensive player. You think about all the offense they get, even from some positions like shortstop, where Bo Bichette is great and gives you a ton of offense. Uh, so they can carry a guy who's not going to do a lot with the bat, and he'll be one. He will get free reign. I think those they'll have their left and right fielders pinned to the lines and tell Kiermaier go get everything else you can get. Uh, it's all yours. So I, I think he's in a situation where uh, he's going to play every day. I mean, he hasn't spoken since the deal. The team hasn't spoken yet, but I, I think you can come to a pretty fair conclusion. If he's going to take that deal, it's going to be to go out there and be able to get a chance to play on a pretty much everyday basis. And Look, I, you know, the, the new schedule this year, each team, you play the teams in your division four times instead of six. So it won't be quite the same, but I, I know from Kevin's standpoint, he'll get to stay at home for spring training, live in Tampa, they train in Dunedin. Uh, there will be the two trips to the TROP here. And, uh, you know, the little interesting little plot thickens. I mean, you remember the issue in the 21 season when he slid into home and picked up that catcher, that card that fell out of the catcher's sleeve, yeah. like the pitching data card. And, and the Blue Jays got mad and they hit him, you know, the next time he came up and, it looked like it was going to be a thing for a while. So, uh, obviously, the Blue Jays feel like they're over that. New manager now, um, you know, a little bit different setup over there. But it's an interesting move, and, and I think if you're the Rays, you probably wish he'd gone to the NL West so you don't have to see him all that often, uh, as opposed to fact, in fact, the Rays finished the season at Toronto. So, write your own script there. He makes a leaping catch at the wall to deny them a playoff spot or something. <laughs> well, yeah, that always seems to come back to haunt you. Another player that uh, had been a big part of the Rays and had some injuries, Mike Zanino, he's heading to the Cleveland Indians. I, I saw where uh, there might have been some discussion about possibly trading for a Sean Murphy, not to be confused with Sean Murphy. Bunting to the Braves is where he wound up. So what is the catching situation now as it stands with the Rays? Just tell me this, though. If that had happened, we would have found a way to get Sean Murphy and Sean Murphy Bunting together, right? Well, not only that, but it's at some point Sean Murphy would have to put down a bunt, and then that would have given everything we needed, right, for for a headline or yeah, or when or, the A's you know. played here last year, I think for three games in a row, every time he came up, I tweeted, ah, "I won't be able to say Sean Murphy bunting this time. Maybe next time." <laughs> exactly. Just out. give me one one of the them. Yeah. Part, the best part would be if we actually got the Bucks Sean Murphy bunting out here and found out that he was a better bunter than Sean Murphy. That would have, that would have been the perfect <laughs> uh, resolution. You have to ask him that sometime. Have you ever played baseball? But. Exactly. Yeah, so look, the Rays, the Rays did not get Sean Murphy. He went to, uh, sorry, he went to Atlanta in kind of a weird trade because Atlanta had three catchers. They traded two of them. It was a three-way deal. Uh, but they're still, now they have Sean Murphy and Travis Darno. so they still might have the best catching duo in the big yeah. leagues. And that was a weird deal. The Rays were in on that. They were trying to get Sean Murphy, and it didn't seem like 
Oakland ever kind of engaged in what the Rays had to offer. And Oakland didn't get as much as they'd been rumored to get, too. So it was, it was really kind of an odd situation. But where it leaves the Rays, as we sit here right now on December, mid-December, uh, they've got uh, Christian Bethencourt back. They've got Francisco Mejia still. And they've got Rene Pinto, who they like a lot. And I will say this, when he came up later in the year, he looked much better offensively than he did early mm-hmm. in the year. He looked overmatched and scared early in the year. Uh, defense has always been good. He looks like he might be a little bit better hitter, as he proved in AAA when he had a little bit of time in AAA. The same thing kind of happened. Sometimes guys need that period of adjustment. So they have those three guys right now. Do I think those will be – I think there's – that the two on the roster are going to come out of those three come opening day. I actually don't. I think they'll end up picking up a veteran somewhere along the way. Um, and whether that's trading Mejia, I think he might have an option left. Bethencourt kind of made this interesting because he played his way into their plans as well as he played last year. The arm is really attractive. The fact that he can control a running game so much. And don't forget, new rules this year. Stolen bases are a much bigger part of the game going forward. Pitchers can only throw over twice. You can't throw over a third time. Uh, the bases are each going to be like an inch or so bigger, which sounds silly, but, you know, it, if it's 60 feet, 6 inches between, and now it's only 60 feet between, uh, you know, incrementally you're going to get there a, a millisecond faster, right? So stolen bases will be a bigger part of the game. A catcher who throws really well like Bethencourt is a bigger asset to have. But I, I still think they'll figure out uh, and find a veteran somewhere along the way to bring into the mix. In your column on Sunday, Mark, you mentioned that one of the things that they could benefit from is if they have good health, right? Some of their core young players, Wander Franco, Manuel Margot, uh, those guys missed a lot of games. Uh, certainly Brandon Lau did. And so, you know, if they're back in the lineup, that, that certainly provides some offense. But they're still in need of especially a left-handed hitters with Jimon Choi moving on. So in their price range, and I don't know what that is, they gave $40 million to a pitcher, um, who are some of the names that realistically they, they would have to try to take a look at? Yeah, I mean, I think the guy that's the best fit is Michael Brantley, who's been with that mm-hmm. uh, Houston the last few years, was with Cleveland before that. He's a guy Cash yeah. knows really well. He's a tremendous clubhouse guy. Uh, but there's some question as to his shoulder. He had shoulder surgery last year, and I, I don't think you've seen any discussion of him so far outside of teams are interested in him. But I don't think there's been any offer. I'm not sure that he's – like there seems to just be some question. Is he fully healthy? Does he want to like – a little more rehab. Does he want to do a workout and show teams he's healthy? There seems to be some reason that market's dragging a little bit. Uh, you know, once you get past that, you know, the guys that I think, quote unquote, are in their price range. I mean, I think Ben Intendi is not going to be in their price range. Brandon Nimmo clearly wasn't. Um, so then you're looking at a group of Brandon Belt, who was the first baseman with the Giants, Joey Gallo, who was with the Yankees and did terrible. And then he went to the Dodgers, and he did a little bit better. He'd been with the Rangers before that, but he's a big strikeout, you know, strikeout home run, three-true outcome kind of guy. So it's it's that kind of group. Bellinger was in that group. He signed with the Cubs. Uh, there's just not a ton of them that are out there. Michael Conforto, who missed all of last year, uh, coming back. He was with the Mets, coming off an injury. So it's almost like every one of those guys has a, has a pockmark on him. You know, there's no sure bet from that group. So then you wonder, are there some trade guys out there? And then talking to uh, Eric Neander at the press conference Tuesday, he made another interesting point, which I don't think he has said publicly before, but a guy who has, they, they'd like this guy to, to not only be an experienced hitter and have some, you know, f- some footing under him, as they like to say, but also with some presence, you know, and that was part of the reason they got David Peralta last year. They wanted a guy who had some been there, done that, who the younger players could ask questions of, who they could talk with. Uh, and, and, you know, maybe that, 
to try to find that kind of guy. I don't know if you're getting into unicorn territory, but it's certainly in the rare animal category of, you know, reasonable price, healthy, has had some success, uh, you know, can be a leader in your clubhouse, is going to be accepted. You know, that was part of the appeal with Peralta was obviously bilingual, could speak to, you know, all the players in there. So, you know, just an interesting kind of narrow field that they're looking for. Now, do they find that guy? Do they come off of that? You know, and you want to be a left-handed hitter, so you just you, you kind of keep putting all these, you know, I think the phrase the cool kids use is silos. You know, how many, you're putting all these, you know, putting guys into different silos. There's not a lot of guys that are going to fit this silo that have all those categories. All right, it makes sense. I'll get you out on this one, Mark, and uh, it doesn't seem like there's enough room at the end, but listen, when you lose a, a first baseman, you let G-Man Choi go, moves on, um, and you're looking at guys that are available, what's the chances or is there a chance of any reunion with Evan Longoria? Could they move Yandy Diaz to first base? Could, could they create an opening there for, uh, for a return of their prodigal son? Boy, wouldn't that be an interesting story? And then talk about a guy. If you want to bring in a guy who's got some presence and is willing to be a leader, I mean, Whoa. he's never the rah-rah guy, but you know, you want you want a guy where, where all us medias are going to hang out by? I think we'd hang out by his locker, I can tell you that much. And, oh, yeah. Here's the situation, and, and this has been put to me pretty clearly. Now, look, if, we, if we're sitting here in January and they still haven't figured out who this guy they want to get is, and Longoria's still out there, maybe they, they give up something on you know their list of priorities. In this case, would be he's a right-handed hitter, but Right now you have Yandy Diaz, Isak Paredes, and Harold Ramirez. And those guys in some form are going to play third base, which would either be Yandy or Isak. Uh, first base, which could be any one of those three. Or DH, which on a given day could be any one of those three. Those would mm-hmm. be the three places you'd play Longoria, right? I mean, realistically, yeah. you know, he's, he's, he's played 80-something games the last two years. He's been hurt both years, uh, both the last two years with the Giants. So you probably can't run him out there and put the turf in he's almost 40 now like all these things so you know it's, it's going to be tough for him to play every day at third so if you see the moving to first but are you going to get him in are you going to get enough playing time if you have all three of those guys so now do you do you trade one of those guys and then if you do that where's your net though because those are three of your best offensive players right i mean paredes had 20 homers ramirez was one of your best hitters he missed that one month he was hurt diaz is your best player probably overall outside of a rosarena so you know if you trade one of them to make room for Longoria, you might you might be taking your offense down a notch. So yeah. I, I don't know. I think it's unlikely as we sit here today. But look, price comes down. They can't find a lefty hitter. Maybe they figure out something and, and find a way to make them fit. But I, if we we're going to guess right now, I'd say no. You will not see uh, number three. It's never been worn since he left, and I don't think it'll ever be worn again unless he comes back. I don't think so either. I lied. I'm going to ask you one more question, and that is. Your thoughts about Fred McGriff after all these years and just his take when you had a chance to talk to him being elected to uh, Cooperstown and going to the Baseball Hall of Fame. What, wasn't that a great story in all these days of every all the bad news going on in the world? Yeah. That was a, that was a nice, a nice feel-good story, wasn't it? A guy who he did it right, and it seemed like he kind of got wronged by the system. And, and I, I don't know. I can't explain it. I voted for him all 10 years. He was on the writer's ballot. Except for that last year, he never got more than 20-something percent of the vote. I don't know why he didn't get more support. Uh, he didn't do it flashy, but he did it consistent. That was his number one thing, and uh, just a great story. And, you know, he played for the Rays twice. He finished his career here. But I think more so to me is that he's a Tampa guy. And yeah. it's a little bit of a trick question, but there's only two other true Tampa guys in the Hall of Fame right now. Uh, and, you know, Wade Boggs is the other one. He moved here when he was 10 or 11 years old, but – 
you you got to think how cool it's going to be to have another Tampa guy in the Hall of Fame. And, you know, Fred was saying one of the hardest things for him all these years was just running. He plays a lot of golf. He belongs at Old Memorial. So, you know, hangs out with the cool dudes over there. But he goes around the country, plays in tournaments. He does stuff. And people, he said players, you know, not just fans, but even former players, like, man, well, how come you're not in the Hall of Fame? And he, he never knew what to say. <laughs> He said, now you don't have to answer that question anymore. He's real happy. Yeah, no, it's, it's just great and uh, well-deserved. And, 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 you know, maybe there'll be another Tampa guy, maybe Lou Pinella down the road. Who knows? Um, yeah, he should be up by next December. He'll be on that ballot when they do this kind of ballot again. It'll be for managers, uh, executives, right. and umpires. So maybe he'll be in there too and join the group. That'd be great. Well, he's Mark Tompkin. You can read all about uh, Zach Eflin in the Tampa Bay Times, his introductory press conference, a longtime Rays fan, now joins sort of the hometown, adoptive hometown team, and why he is now the highest paid player in Rays history. Quite a story. Thanks, Mark. Appreciate the time, buddy. Anytime, Rick. Always great catching up with Mark Topkin. Check him out, of course, on TampaBay.com and in the Tampa Bay Times. And tomorrow we're going to have a chance to talk a little college football with Matt Baker of the Tampa Bay Times. So keep it right here for that, as well as Tom Brady and the Bucks begin preparations for their game on Sunday against the very tough former AFC champions, defending AFC champions, Cincinnati Bengals coming to town 425 on Sunday. So we'll have that for you as well. Thanks for listening. For Steve Burstink, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody. 